Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. We are starting a new series this weekend. If you weren't here last weekend, you can go back and listen to the way we ended our Hearing God series. Uh, But this weekend, we're going to start a four-week series where I'm going to talk about what the church looks like without you and what the church looks like with you. And the title of the series is Without You. And every week, each message, the title of the message is going to begin with the words, without you, so that you can begin to see a little bit of a picture. And and listen, there are going to be some parts in this series where it appears as though I'm stepping on your toes. I'm not stepping on your toes. I'm actually washing your feet. Never said that before in my life. That just came. We're going to pray and be done with the service now. (laughs) I want to write that down. (laughs) I'm not stepping on your toes. It's not in my heart to to come after you, to... For, for it to appear as though God is upset with you. We're going to talk about some things, and I call them big boy, big girl issues. And uh, they're things we need to talk about. And the reason is, I feel like this year, God has some really uh, exciting and big things in store for our church that could happen. I'm not saying I believe they will happen. I believe it's God's desire that they happen. But there are some things that can happen uh, that would keep the things God desires to happen from actually happening. And we're gonna talk about some of those things. And, and this weekend, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Without you, we don't advance as fast. Without you, we don't advance as fast. I really do feel there, there is something that God is asking us to do this year that's gonna require all hands on deck. And I believe we can do it, and, but we're going to have to do it together. And there are some things that we all need to do in order to see what God desires for us to do come to pass. So I'm going to give you three of those things that I believe all of us need to do this year related to the body of Christ. If you have a Bible, you can turn to one spot or two spots if you want. Acts chapter 2, you can open there. We're going to start there. And then if you like to turn to two spots, you can put a marker in Acts 12, or you can just wait till the end of the message and then turn a couple pages, and we'll be in Acts 12. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. We're not going to all read it out loud together. You can just read in the screen with me, or you can listen to me read it out of my Bible. I'm going to give you three things today that I believe if we all commit to doing these things, that there's no telling how we will see God respond. And here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You need to be present. In order for us to see what God desires us to do, in order for us to do it this year as a church, you're going to need to be present. I don't know if you know this, but statistics say that the average Christian goes to church 1.5 times per month. That means one month, two times, the next month, one time for the entire year. Now, some of you might go more than that. Some of you might go less than that. But I want to help you kind of understand 
what your life might look like if you did certain things in your life 1.5 times per month. What would your life look like if you only washed your sheets 1.5 times per month instead of once a week? What would your life look like if you only cleaned your toilet 1.5 times per month? Some of you are thinking, I only clean it 1.5 times per year. (laughs) That's part of the problem. What would your marriage look like if you only had 1.5 date nights per month? What parents would your family look like if as a family you only had 1.5 family meals all together every month? Now, you might be thinking, well, Preston, I, I don't do any of those things four times a month. Well, that's part of the problem. Our society has made inconsistency an extremely consistent thing. And with that comes making the house of God a consistent habit in our weekly lives. Now, I know some people would look at this message and say, hey, this is awfully gutsy, the first message of the year when everybody's coming back to church and, you know, They say that the first six weeks of the new year is the highest traffic time of the entire year for the church. Now listen, if this is your first time here, we're we're not a a, uh, hellfire and brimstone, we're not a come after you kind of a church, but we are a truth-telling church. We are. And, And we don't run away from that. We can't run away from that because all we can do is read this book and all I'm supposed to do is hear God, related to the messages, hear God, say what he says to say, and read what he's already said about it. That's my responsibility. And so as it relates to church attendance, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm giving you God's word today, all right? Now, if I asked you, I said, okay, how many of you would love to be a part of a church like the first century church? A church where God is adding people in the form of salvations every day. A church where all the needs of the people are being met. A church where everyone's using their gifting and experiencing fulfillment as a result. How many of you would say, I would love to be a a part of a church like that? Just put your hand up. Okay. Well, let's read in Acts chapter 2 at a couple of the things that made the first century church the church that it was. Starting in verse 2 of Acts Chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. I would like to take this time and make an announcement. We will now be offering daily services here at Gateway Church. Not really, but this is one of the things that made the first century church, the first century church. It was a consistent, dare I even say constant habit. 
They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Why did the first century church meet in the temple every day? Well, the answer is simple. They were followers of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, they were simply trying to do whatever they saw Jesus do. Let me show you what Jesus did. Do you remember what he said when he was arrested in the garden? Listen to what he says to the people trying to capture him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests, the captains of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him. This is Luke 22, verse 52. Am I some dangerous revolutionary, he asked, that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. Here's another way to say that. The reason that the first century church met together every day is because Jesus made the house of God a daily habit. And as followers of Jesus, they were simply following Jesus. What an idea. They made the house of God a habit. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and this is really personal, all right? I'm going to be just as vulnerable as you. Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and your flesh ever whispered to you as you rolled over in bed, hey, it's been a long week. You don't need to go today. Let's raise our hands. Has anyone ever had their flesh say that to them? Okay. It happened to me this morning. Okay. Obviously, that's not God speaking to us. It's our flesh and our enemy saying, hey, you don't need to go today. Okay. Don't let it surprise you at all that I am standing up here saying the exact opposite thing your flesh is saying to you. Don't ever be surprised. And let me say this. If I ever start sounding like your flesh, you need to leave this place immediately and I need to be fired from this place immediately. If I ever start sounding like your flesh, I need to be fired. I don't ever wanna sound like my flesh in this pulpit. I wanna repeat what I hear God say. Listen, if our flesh says, oh, well, you just missed this week, it's no big deal, then don't expect me to stand up here and say the exact same thing. Expect me to say the opposite thing. Let me illustrate it. What if instead of church attendance, your struggle was temptation? And one weekend before a service, you came up to me and you said, Pastor, I've been married for 16 years to my wife and I love her, but I'm finding myself being attracted to another woman. What should I do? What if I said to you, listen, here's what you need to do. Before you make some kind of drastic decision about divorce, you need to ask the other girl out. I mean, you, you need to see if you're even compatible. Do you even have chemistry? Do you like her? Don't, don't even go down the road of divorce until you first test out the waters. Can any of you imagine me giving that counsel to you? Of course not. Because you expect your pastor to never sound like your flesh. 
listen, if your flesh is telling you, ah, you don't need to go to church, the church doesn't need you, then you need to expect me to stand up here and say, God designed the church to need all of us using our individual gifts to advance the boundaries of God's kingdom and see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. It takes us all, all of us. Let me say this, if you're church shopping right now, I want you to be in the church where God wants you to be, all right? If that's not here, I don't want you to be here. I want you to go wherever God is leading you to go. But let me give you this little tip. Never attend a church where your flesh is happy. If I never see you again, please don't ever forget this. Never attend a church where your flesh is happy. I know it may seem like I'm coming on a little too strong to you if we've never met and this is your first time here. I promise I'm not a bad guy and I'm not coming after you. But let me help you kind of understand, as a pastor, my calling is not to be your personal chef where I just cook up whatever you feel like hearing. My responsibility as a pastor is to be your personal trainer. And sometimes it's annoying to hear your trainer say, hey, Preston, you have bird legs. You need to strengthen them. (laughs) Now, my trainer talks that way to me. I promise I'll never talk like that to you. But I also will not withhold the truth. I can't, I won't. Let me read you one more uh, passage. I don't know when you watch the news, if you ever have this thought, man, it feels like we're living in the last days. Anybody ever felt that way before? Okay. Remember, 2,000 years ago, they thought they were living in the last days. So I may not be the smartest guy, and I'm, I'm not saying I know when Jesus is coming back. No one knows the day, the hour, the time. But I am saying if 2,000 years ago they thought they were close to the return of Christ, we're closer than they are. <laughs> I want to read you a passage of scripture that talks about making the house of God a habit. And also living in the last days. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Here's another way to say that. The closer I am to Christ's return, the closer I need to be to the house of God on a consistent basis. That's what we just read. I need to be a part of the family, a part of the body of Christ. If we're going to do this year what God is asking us to do as a church, we're all going to need to be present. That leads us to point number two. If we're going to do all that God asks us to do, you're going to need to be passionate. You need to be passionate. Now, let me make one thing clear after that first point. I am not all about church attendance. It is not my number one goal to see you in church every week. That's not what I'm talking about. I am not talking about just church attendance. 
your literal presence here. I'm talking about making the house of God a priority in your life, which involves your presence here. There's a big difference between those two things. If, if I tried to explain the difference between just faithfulness and passionate faithfulness, you'd really understand it. And so I'm going to do that. Because listen, before we started this church, I remember about two years before we started, I felt the Lord say, Preston, I am not asking you to build a church that is known for how many people you can count. I am asking you to pastor a church full of people others can count on. Write that down. (laughs) Two totally different. Listen, a large church, there's nothing wrong with a large church. In fact, we, we desire to be a large church. And here's why. The more people we can bring together, the more dangerous we can be. But listen, if all we are is a crowd and we never do anything when we come together, then what's the point of coming together? God's asked us to do some things this year, not just to be present. It's not enough just to be faithful. Please don't come to me at the end of the year in the lobby and say, Pastor, I did it 48 weeks this year. First time ever in my life I hit 48. And just so you know, Pastor, I wasn't skipping out the other four. I was sick two of the weeks, and family vacation two of the other week. Listen, we're not talking about that. I'm not checking your attendance. It's between you and God. But there is a difference between someone who faithfully attends and someone who is passionate about the body of Christ. Let me illustrate it in this way. Let me speak to the ladies for a moment. Let me describe two types of husbands for you. There is the faithful husband, And there is the passionate husband. There's a difference. A faithful man says on your wedding day, I will love you till death do us part. And there's nothing wrong with faithfulness. Faithfulness is a good thing. But I'm telling you, faithfulness is not the best thing. And and it's easy to prove. I have counseled with faithful men who go to work and never look at another woman the entire day but then go home, and when his wife wants to give him a kiss, he says, no, I'm not in the mood right now, please don't. Not only does he not look at other women, he doesn't look at his own wife, but hey, he doesn't cheat on her, he's faithful. Listen, just because we live in a world that is full of unfaithfulness doesn't mean faithfulness is the best way. Passionate faithfulness is the best way. Ladies, let me describe husband number two. Husband number two, he stands in front of you on your wedding day and he says, I will passionately pursue you all the days of my life. Husband number one, that version, he comes home. How was your day? Fine. Want to go out tonight? No. Want to go on a vacation, just the two of us, not the kids? Never. but I promise I won't cheat on you. (laughs) Version number two, this man comes home from work and he says, how was your day? And you say, I wasn't very good. I had an issue with a friend, just some tough stuff. Okay, I can tell you're weighed down. You feel heavy. Let's do this. You go get your favorite outfit on. I'll go get my favorite outfit on. And we're going to our favorite restaurant tonight. 
I'll get a babysitter for the kids. Don't even worry about the kids for the rest of the night, all right? They're dead to you. (laughs) Sometimes you have to go that far. It's not literal. You just have to say, forget them that much, just for the night. Then you go right back home to them. It's okay. We're going to go to our favorite restaurant. Then we're going to go to, our, to see that movie we've been talking about. Then after that, we're going to go to a coffee shop and stay there till they close and just talk and stare into each other's eyes. And so but before you go get your favorite outfit on and, and he gets his favorite outfit on and he takes you out to the car and opens up your door and you sit down on your side and he walks around the back of your car and in the back, without you knowing, he had purchased a gift several weeks ago that you didn't even know about and he's just been waiting for the right time to give it to you. He opens the trunk, he grabs the gift, comes around to his side, hands you the gift and says, I've been waiting several weeks to give this to you. I figure now is as good a time as any. I love you so much. Okay, ladies, let me ask you a question. How many of you would love to marry version number one? Okay. How many of you would love to marry or be married to version number two? Okay. Last service, one of the men said, you really challenged me on being a more passionate husband. I I felt a punch in my side and my wife was punching me during that part of the message. And I said, that wasn't your wife, that was the Holy Spirit. She goes, amen, pastor. (laughs) Ladies, for those of you who who raised your hand, you know how I feel. I'm not just looking for, to, to assemble a group of people who faithfully attend church and cross it off their list. We're trying to assemble a group of people who are passionate about the house of God and the kingdom of God and the family of God. Let me show you some of the things that King David said about the house of God. Things like in Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. Psalm 122, that that word glad there. Let me illustrate it for you. Because some of us look like the church, and here's how we would say what King David said. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to church this this Sunday morning. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. King David is using a word, and here's what it looks like. When they said to me, we are going up to the house of the Lord today, I got giddy. I couldn't even contain myself. I said, hey, you're going up to the house of the Lord today? I'm getting to go with you up to the house of the Lord? Wait, we're going into the presence of God, into the house of the Lord to worship together? Oh, let's go. I'm, I'm going to guess not all of us come across that way on Sunday mornings. But it's not because we're incapable of behaving that way, because I've watched some of you during football games. I've watched some of you during Christmas sales. You get excited. Listen, we were made to be excited about the house of the Lord. Let me show you something else. Psalm 65, verse 4. What joy for those you choose to bring near. 
those who live in your holy courts, what festivities await us inside your holy temple? You know what the word festivities means? Fun activities. (laughs) What fun activities are waiting for us in the house of the Lord? Well, Preston, clearly you've never been to some of the churches I grew up in because I would not classify any of the things that went on there as fun activities. You may even look at our church and say, I hate to burst your bubble, Pastor, but it doesn't appear as though you have any fun things happening at this church. Well, maybe you're right, or maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's because you and I define fun activities a little bit differently. I define fun activities as doing anything God asks us to do. Well, that sounds awfully spiritual, Pastor. No, no, no. I'll prove it to you. Here's your homework for the week. Go home and read Deuteronomy chapter 28. And you read the first half of the chapter and you tell me if it doesn't sound like God has fun responding every time you do something he asks you to do. If that, the first half of Deuteronomy 28 isn't fun, then I don't know what fun is. Go read it this week. Then read the second half of Deuteronomy 28. And if you want to see what boring and no fun looks like, read it right there on the page. Because the second half of Deuteronomy 28 is all about God's response to our disobedience. There is no fun in that. You may look at the church and go, man, I I don't see anything fun happening. Well, maybe you should change the way you see fun and what happens in the church. Because I think it's a lot of fun to gather a group of people and to take them into strip clubs to minister to women who are hurting and broken and drowning and wanting a way out. I think that's a lot of fun. I think it's even more fun to go into downtown Phoenix with some food or some showers and anything we can to bless people and say, you know what? I know it seems like nobody notices you, but did you know God never stops watching you? That's fun. In fact, at times it's indescribable fun. But it's a fun not everyone chooses to consistently experience. And I get it. We all have reasons. Everybody's busy. I understand. But I'm just telling you, if you're praying about what your year looks like this year and you don't have church on your calendar weekly, I can promise you for a fact, this year isn't going to go as well as God designed it to go. Preston, how can you say that? Because Jesus said in all of scripture tells us we were meant as believers in Jesus to be in the house of the Lord, constantly and consistently in fellowship with one another. It's easy to get passionate about such an incredible opportunity. It's easy to get passionate about such a wonderful group of people. It's easy to get passionate about something Jesus laid his life down for. The bride of Christ, the church. If we are not present, and if we are not 
compassionate, not just present. We're not going to be able to accomplish the things God is asking of us as a church this year. That leads us to point number three. If we're going to do what God's asked us to do, we're going to need to be present, we need to be passionate, but we're also going to need to be praying. You need to be praying. Look back in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. I think sometimes we underestimate the power of prayer. And I know that you pray for your loved ones. And I know you pray for work stuff. And I know you pray for provision. And I know you pray for parking spaces. And I know you pray for puppies. But I'm asking you, if on your list of things you pray for, I'm asking you, if you don't have the house of God, and if you call this your church home, if you don't have this church on your prayer list, I'm asking you this year to put it on your list. We need to be praying for the church. We need to be praying that God would give us an anointing to reach people who are running away from him. We need to be praying for marriages that the enemy is attacking in our church. We need to be praying for teenagers not to run away from God, but for there to be an anointing in this house for teenagers to run to God. We need to be praying over the staff They're the tip of the spear. So they're going to experience resistance faster than anybody in this place. We need to be praying for our staff. We need to be praying over the church. And there are some things God wants to do this year that with all of my heart, I believe we will not see without an increased commitment to prayer. We have to bump up our prayer game. We have to. Here's why, James chapter five, verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I wanna read you one more passage, Acts chapter 12. And I wanna show you a picture in the Bible. If you've ever had the thought, what would it look like if a group of people came together as the body of Christ, passionate about the kingdom of God, devoted to prayer, what would it look like? How might God respond? I wanna show you the power of a group of people coming together in the name of the Lord, devoted to prayer how God responds to a group of people like that. Acts chapter 12, starting in verse one. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. I love this part. It's God's way of saying, 
Peter was doing nothing. He was out like a light. The church was praying earnestly for Peter, but Peter was sawing logs. He was asleep. That night, in between the soldiers, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. And an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. Imagine that. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel to sa and save me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went home to Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. Wonder what they might have been praying about. The Bible tells us one of the things on their list was for Peter. Can you imagine them praying for Peter? And they hear a knock at the door. Boom, boom, boom. It's Peter. Listen. In the same way that the people came together and earnestly prayed for Peter and saw God deliver Peter, if we will come together in the name of the Lord as the body of Christ and, and devote our prayers to the same targets, we will see God respond in the exact same way. We've got to up our commitment to prayer this year. I want to show you kind of a picture of how I see our church. Our, our calling as a church is much larger than our present size. Now you can hear that differently than what I mean. You might hear that and think, oh, he thinks his church is amazing. No, I'm seeing it a little bit differently than you, obviously. What I feel is the responsibility. I don't get excited saying, oh, this church is gonna be this and that. No, no, no. What I hear every time God keeps adding to the list, I feel the responsibility to be faithful. Our calling as a church is far larger than our present day size. And if I were to draw this, this calling out that God's placed upon our church, it's like a huge boulder that I, that's far larger than me. Bigger than the boulders up in Carefree at the Boulders Resort, if you've ever been up there. Huge boulders. This boulder is so large that I can't push this boulder myself. It's too heavy. I can't do it by myself. In fact, this calling is so large, the staff cannot do it by themselves. The staff is just strong enough to be able to push the calling back and forth, rocking it in its own place. But in and of themselves, they are not strong enough alone. The only way that calling, that rock is gonna move is if a ton of people come together and say, God has me here for such a time as this. 
And I will not simply come to church and sit in the shadow of this rock. I'm going to help move it. God called me here. I'm going to do what God's asked me to do here. And we are going to move this rock. And any enemy that would come against us, we're going to run them over with that rock. I've never said this publicly until this weekend. One of my dreams is by the time I die, that I be known in hell as one of the most annoying people on planet Earth. <laughs> Which means I have decided our church is going to be one of the most annoying churches to hell and every one of its allies that is on the earth today. But I cannot do that by myself. We have to do it together. This rock's gonna move. But with you, it's gonna move faster. It's gonna move stronger. It's gonna move wiser. It's going to move better. Because God brought you here to help move it. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.